Welcome to the Unlocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Welcome back to episode number 100 of Unblocking Crypto. It's a brand new year. Happy 2024, Al. Hey, happy new year, man. Uh, episode 100. That's a nice round number to start a year off, too. Yeah, very exciting. So I, I think this is going to be kind of a cool episode. We talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago, but the goal, I think, is kind of to recap 2023, some of the things that we say predicted, although we just kind of talked about more of what themes we expected to see in 2023. And then maybe we can address some of that same concept of what we expect to see in 2024. Sound good to you? That sounds good. I like it. All right. So let's start out with 2023. Kind of a crazy year. Exciting year. The year before the happening, Bitcoin went up, what, 160-something percent? Yep. <laughs> so everybody is, is pretty excited about what's about to happen. And the big thing that we talked about was... What we expected to see in 2023 was a, a ton of regulation. And we did and didn't at the same time. So we saw a lot out of Europe with Micah. I think we had hoped for a lot out of the U.S. We're theoretically days away from the U.S. possibly approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. But there's still so many question marks around crypto in the U.S., which is frustrating. Yeah, it, it's almost like there was a lot of discussion and flirting with regulation, but it wasn't as though there was a comprehensive regulation bill passed by Congress. It was a lot of regulation by three-letter agency and regulation by the SEC slapping people on the hand, but not really telling them why. It, it was a it, but that might just be the strategy for a while. But I felt like. We definitely talked about it a lot. I don't know that the, there was a lot of progress, like black and white progress on regulations in the U.S. In the you know, yeah, I think, I mean, going into 2023, Biden had just done that task force that was supposed to talk about crypto and we were optimistic about, about that. And Gary Gensler was this pro-crypto guy at MIT and he was going to possibly kind of help push some things forward and that didn't happen. Now, the good news is XRP kind of won the SEC case, which it, which was huge for the crypto industry. And I think we talked a little bit about we were expecting Coinbase to kind of take the lead in a lot of the stuff. And I mean, if you're being honest, they, they kind of are, right? I mean, they're definitely the ones that are trying to push things. I think they had created a, what is it, all the districts, 465 districts or whatever in the U.S. that they want to try to get people to make sure that they're electing pro-crypto people. I mean, there's been a super PAC that they just raised a ton of money in Q4 to help push for positive legislation or fair legislation on crypto for this, this next uh, election year. So they're definitely trying. It's I think it's still a long battle. They're still battling, I guess, with the SEC, even though some things have been dropped and some things are still going, but it's it doesn't seem like a it has an end in sight, unfortunately. And and it's probably gonna be a still a theme that is a major topic going into twenty twenty four as well. Yeah, between the XRP and the grayscale rulings, it's kind of helped shape that regulation and kind of push things in certain directions from a judicial side rather than the regulation side. But I'll I'll take it. I kind of like where we are, where they're like Congress just screws stuff up. 
there's a it's building it's it's allowing enough time for people to start understanding oh okay on as far as renewable energy and and bitcoin mining help stabilizing the grid you know these are not easy concepts to understand and for these people that are spending 1% of their time hearing about bitcoin it gives them a chance to to learn more instead of it's real easy to say no to stuff and it's safe and it's tougher to say yes let's let's allow this new innovative stuff to go forward so uh, i'll i'll take it i think it's uh, a matter of time before things kind of chew through and come our way but you know with bitcoin you know, time's kind of a a good thing yeah so the other big thing that we talked about was kind of this whole theme of decentralization and the concept of holding your own coins or tokens whatever you want to call them and what we saw actually is for the first time the dexes had overtaken some of the spot exchanges for for or sorry centralized exchanges for for buys and, and trades right so in the past companies like uniswap were a very small portion of the trading and everything was happening on coinbase and things like that and that, that's changed so as, as people want to kind of hold a lot of that in their own wallet hopefully whether it's metamask or ledger and do more of these trades without having to go to a centralized exchange and i mean they had ftx blow up which i think scared a lot of people away right and ledger had hacks that worried people and so a lot of question marks on that and kind of a, a trend moving towards that i think it's probably a slow trend that still has a long ways to go because there's still so many people that aren't in crypto and that's not a very comfortable thing for them to do but we're at least headed in the right direction with some of that yeah i i think it's interesting where we're headed is with the ETFs is going to be a lot more centralization in general. So I think you're going to see two, two camps. You're going to see the people that don't care about centralization, decentralization. They care about getting Bitcoin exposure, personal portfolios and returns and things like that. And then you're going to have the smaller camp of people that are focused on, you know, the, the government resistant sensor resistant money you're you know people that are that are willing to do the work to put bitcoin on a a hardware wallet and have a plan if they get hit by a bus as to how that money is going to go to the, you know be inherited by their beneficiaries the difficult stuff right a small percentage of people are going to do the difficult stuff a large percentage of the people are just going to want to get a, a little taste of Bitcoin exposure through the ETFs or MicroStrategy or other stocks. And, you know, I think that that stinks for the Bitcoin hardcore crypto guys that that are, you know, separating money and state. But I think it's it's an inevitable part of this as it evolves and, and gets mass adoption and and continues to kind of gain popularity in, in mainstream. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, in 2023, you know, I think that the Dex, the, the improvement of the Dex performance, I think that that's going to get swamped by a more centralized Coinbase and, and ETFs running the show. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the supply is so limited. It's almost like these ETFs are going to have to go straight to the miners to get the Bitcoin rather than, having to go through a centralized exchange. But I mean, the, the other interesting piece to all this is the ETFs 
all of the U.S.-based ETFs are doing cash exchange, not in-kind exchange, right? So you can't take your Bitcoin that's held in the spot ETF and have it traded out for actual Bitcoin. You have to go to cash and then take that cash and buy Bitcoin, which is a taxable event, of course, and governments make a lot of money. But what's interesting is a lot of other countries are starting to look for the in-kind exchange. So while the U.S. is definitely leading in this, I think it's Hong Kong is starting to explore the in-kind exchange. And so if everybody else starts doing it, I feel like the U.S. is going to have to kind of follow suit. But I guess time will tell. Yeah, I think that's also a piece of the infrastructure being in place so that that the ETFs can transfer Bitcoin into the custody of a bank or another holder that's that's that knows how to do it that has a plan so i think that we're beyond this cash creates model for a period of time and then they'll just add in the in kind so that it's i think that's kind of an easy move to make and i'm glad it's not holding things up from the etf standpoint because i think the etf will be like a slow grind and and, and you know slowly over time steadily creep up and so you might as well go ahead and get uh but yeah I, I think it would be it's better to hold bitcoin than it is to hold an etf share but at the same time there's so many people that just aren't willing to to go through the trouble of even creating a coinbase account and holding it on that exchange yeah and the other part of the decentralization piece that i was kind of mentioning back in 2020 early 2023 was expecting to see NFTs have kind of resurgence. And that was kind of the opposite. <laughs> they kind of took a nosedive. What has been interesting is the landscape has changed a lot. You, you went through a phase where the, one of the coolest things about NFTs is every time it tra trades hands, the creator earns a percentage of the transaction every time it changes. And there's been a pushback to eliminate that creator fee, um, which is kind of caused for to lose a lot of traction. I mean, they used to be 90% or more of the NFT marketplace, and now they are, God, I want to say like 18% or something like that, real, really small. So there's new people that are coming in and, and taking over that, and then the whole concept of DAOs, the decentralized autonomous organizations, becoming bigger. I don't think that they are have become huge yet. I mean, we did see a, a few things happen and you're seeing a lot more of it, but it's still in its infancy, in my opinion, of, of what we're expecting to see in the future. Yeah, I think that goes into the pile of things that when you're hearing about them sound really interesting, it sounds like you think people are going to grab onto it and run with it. And, and what it really just takes a lot of time. And one year is just not enough time to, on the development side. So yeah, I, I think that's just a longer term play. Yeah. So the other big theme we talked about was the resurgence of layer twos and Ethereum's, the fees were so high and painful that it was becoming kind of a big question mark on what people continue to use Ethereum and the whole, con the ZKs, your knowledge proofs and stuff like that was starting to become on board. Really what happened on layer twos is kind of the initial optimistic roll-ups, which was Arbitrum and Optimism. They took off, right? I mean, they, they did very well in 2023. If you look at the layer twos in general, I think they grew over 300 and something like 330% in 
versus the previous year. So, I mean, we did see a, a huge growth. That's a lot less than the 20,000% growth that they had like, kind of the year before that. But but it's exciting to see, right? I mean, it, it's definitely headed in the right direction. What'll be interesting is Ethereum is, we kind of talked about it a week or two ago about this proto dank sharding and stuff like that. And if that's going to help reduce some of the, the congestion on Ethereum so that they can do more transactions on layer one or layer one versus having to push it to a layer two. But I mean, I still think at the end of the day, for Ethereum to be widely used, you have to have layer twos to reduce the gas fees and, and make things happen. Yeah, and in the same vein, the Lightning Network is still plugging along as far as layer twos on Bitcoin goes. You know, they keep increasing the amount of liquidity on the network. It doesn't seem to fail yeah. in a, any ways that turn people off. So, yeah, the, to me, last year was just such a kind of a quiet bear market year. And then at the end, you know, the final three months, price kind of took off and things kind of got more exciting and we got talked about more often. But, you know, for the majority of that year, it was really just Bitcoin and crypto people focusing on Bitcoin and crypto stuff. And so whatever they're, you know, some of the developments that were going on last year will really pop up when price gets going and everybody's talking about it and, and things start to move and shake. And that sense of urgency ramps up for them. So, so yeah, I think I think layer twos all took a step forward, and I think you see what it's it, it's more obvious how necessary it is. You know, Bitcoin's transaction fees going through the roof because of ordinals make layer twos almost a requirement. They were a requirement before, but it's in your face, you know, pretty big time because now it's not just time; it's cost. And on the flip side, that Ethereum stuff is. The costs, they're going to lose to to Solana if they don't get it together on cost. And they've lost a lot of ground to Solana. So I think that's that layer two mentality is, is going to continue in the next year. And I think last year was a lot of it was laying down the tracks. And then in the next couple of years, you'll see things rolling down those tracks. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the big thing for the future, one of the things we talked about was finding ways to attract new users. And in 2023, we kind of thought gaming or I thought gaming was going to be one of those ways. And in reality, I don't think it has. I think gaming has, well, it's had a couple of games come out. It's it's still been, they're working behind the scenes on a lot of the stuff. And the expectation is a lot of these games are probably going to come out in 2024, not 2023, like everything was planned, just with the bull market and things happening, everything slowed down. For sure. So we'll see what happens with that. But the other thing that we kind of thought was, or that I thought was uh, real world assets would start to be tokenized. And that could attract a a lot more users as well. So you, you did see some growth there. I want to, I think it was something like $3 billion of real world assets have been backed on, on blockchains globally. Now, the biggest growth, I think, that was one of the real estate companies that went from like 100,000 to 64 million of assets that were tokenized on the Internet. And I mean, you're still three billion is not a small number at all. But if you look at just the amount of real estate worldwide, you're talking about like six hundred and thirteen trillion dollars. So the amount of growth of, and potential is huge. And we're, we're not even scratching the surface <laughs> right now from that perspective. So it's got a long ways to go. Yes, it made some huge growth, but it's it's still in its infancy. 
Yeah, I, I still I still think that's one of the use cases for for crypto and Bitcoin is is that real world tokenization that again, like you said, with, between gaming and this and that, they they just have to try stuff until there's a fit that makes a lot of sense, and then some Michael Saylor type just buys in completely and runs with it, and it gives them a competitive advantage over the competition so that their company takes off. And then everybody follows suit. So, you know, how, how do you predict when that kind of breakthrough is going to happen? I, I, you, you can predict it every year until it happens. And then you'll be right once. And nobody will remember all the times you were wrong. But, I mean, to me, it doesn't make any sense why gaming hasn't really taken off. I think that's the most natural fit. And, I mean, like I've said it before, you know, my kid and his friends they want to buy all this stuff in in-game purchases where you go and you buy gift cards for their birthday in V-Bucks. You know, you buy a $20 gift card and you give it to them and they punch in a code and now they can buy stuff in the game. It's like, just stop using V-Bucks and start using XRP or not XRP, but some gaming token and like make it tradable in the game so that you, you buy something and if it, if it's rare, you can sell it to somebody else. And you could stockpile, you know, something of value and then exchange it on an exchange and, and actually have like a, a real world value. So I'm sure that there's some kind of regulation against it. There has to be either that or I don't know why they haven't tried it. Right. Because it seems like regulations only being you're only triggering regulation after you after the SEC determines that you did. So I, I don't know why they, they they don't scrap these, you know, these proprietary in-game points. And switch it over to, to some some real crypto that people could. I mean, maybe a kid wants to buy a baseball bat, and he can play video games and earn money to buy a baseball bat. Like I think that would be better than just sucking money out of parents, aunts, and uncles into <laughs> into different clothes that your character wears in a video game. So I think Epic Games actually tried that, and one of the problems is everybody wants to be on Apple's ecosystem because there's so many users. And Apple wants to take their 30% cut. So when they did that, it took away Apple being able to get their 30% cut. And they said, Epic can't be part of the Apple ecosystem. So there's a lot more politics going on than just, hey, let's go try this. It's There needs to be another solution. And, and maybe you can do that outside of the Apple ecosystem. But that still is kind of the problem for a lot of these games is how can they get to the user base and still have some sort of token that makes everybody happy at the same time. Well, that's interesting because Apple had a similar problem with like one of the, like Domus, one of the Noster user interface apps because they were zapping sats and like little bits of Bitcoin to each other. And they were saying that that was basically a, a violation of, I, you know, whatever I app app store, user agreement because there was fund exchange, but it wasn't paying the, the Apple tax. And so if enough of enough push, enough customers are pushing to, Hey, we want to trade value on the, on the, on the inside, like in app purchases, except it's not, it doesn't really involve Apple. Well, okay. I mean, we pay fees to buy on Coinbase. Why don't you just, create a fee structure for that kind of stuff and Apple can take a small hit. They're not going to take 30% because you'll actually, 
because the customer will actually see it this time. You know, when I, when you buy an app for five dollars, you have no idea how much you know the app developer is going to make. But on a thing where you're you're you know you're basically Venmoing money to your friend through Twitter, then yeah, you definitely feel that that fee. But I think people will be willing to pay a, a small fee to do that nice and easy. And I, I know kids would in gaming, they would pay three or five percent or whatever in order to exchange stuff because they they it's such a I want it now mentality for these gaming people. I don't they don't care. Like that I think I think people are getting used to seeing like that three percent fee for credit card use in the real world. So if you just move that over into the into the gaming world, I think people would pay it. Yeah, sounds easy, but that's dividing Apple's current fee structure by 10 <laughs> or, or, or more. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll I see. Know. But, I mean, if enough – it's a race to the bottom, man. I mean, all these all these rent-seeking fee structures, you, you, can't, you can't hold 30% forever. Like, businesses will pay that, but individuals trading things back and forth will not. So, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is there, but – I, I would think that they will find one. Well, it's kind of a good lead into one of the other things that we talked about was that we're going to see companies get way more involved in the crypto space. And we did see that from a product perspective where Block actually release, released their new crypto wallet that is, I guess, a, a more, an easier way for people to recover their coins if they screw something up. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, is it the perfect solution that everybody wants? No, but for a lot of beginners, it's it's probably not a bad one. And then we also saw Michael Saylor's, whatever his little thing that he put together for all the businesses saying, this is how you acquire Bitcoin. So we, we expected to see a lot more businesses acquire Bitcoin. And I mean, I think there's still, I don't know, 30 something in the top 500 that have it, but it's amazing to see the, I mean, the size of those are huge. <laughs> so MicroStrategy has a majority of it. It'll be tough for any. Has a much smaller. It's going to be tough for any corporation to hold more Bitcoin than MicroStrategy, just <laughs> just because of cost basis limitations. And I mean, he's over a hundred percent invested in Bitcoin with his with his treasury. So I don't think I don't think there's very many companies that will do that. Very many CEOs and and boards that will do that. So, but I think companies, I think the ETFs will really open the door for companies to get exposure because now they don't have to figure out the, the custody piece of it. They just buy it from BlackRock and BlackRock handles all of that. And so I, I think, I think we'll see a lot of companies have Bitcoin exposure uh, going forward, but it won't be in the same way that, that MicroStrategy has, but it will be for the same reason. Yeah, with all the bank failures that were almost targeted on every bank that was uh, pro-crypto, it made it really difficult for companies to get involved in crypto because there was no on and off ramp. So yeah, the the ETF should change that quite drastically, assuming it happens here shortly. So yeah, I, I mean, the, the bank failures was not on our prediction list. No, no, it's, it's been a little <laughs> while. So. <laughs> I guess every 40 years or so, like 20 years, whatever it is, it, it pops back up. The one other big thing that we did talk about was the whole Ethereum story and kind of the, the trust behind it. And there was the the big switch was going from proof of work to proof of stake and what people would expect 
with Ethereum and, and how would people continue to use it, right? And if I'm being honest, I don't think it hurt it at all. I mean, I, I think Ethereum has continued to grow. One of the main chains, I know Solana got a ton of attention here lately, but if you look at what's the assets that are uh, locked on Ethereum versus Solana, it is night and day. Uh, a difference, like 100x multiples of difference of value, right? So uh, Solana still has a long ways to go to get to where Ethereum is. And there are a lot of huge corporations now that are a part of the Ethereum bandwagon. It's going to make Ethereum very difficult to, to change. Now, will it one day? Maybe. Who knows, right? But I, I don't think it's in the next couple of years, for sure. No, I, I was putting some thought into uh, the... Ethereum price just hasn't seemed to escalate with Bitcoin's price, but network effect is is strong, and because it's been around a lot longer, people are more aware of that term, and and it kind of got grouped together with Bitcoin there for a long time. You know, Coinbase only offered Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin for quite a while, so uh, Ethereum's got a lot of advantages, like legacy type advantages. And until Solana really fixes their stuff and it works all the time and they shake that reputation, I think that they're kind of, they're playing third fiddle, but I, I, th I think Ethereum is kind of positioned to, to do well. I, if anybody's going to get another spot ETF out after the Bitcoin ETF, it's Ethereum. And then I don't think it goes past that for quite a while. So yeah, I mean, Ethereum's in a good spot, even though it's a it's weird proof of stake. You know, they've got Vitalik and his weirdness, and they make drastic changes and things like that. But you know, I'm not whatever. I'm looking at it through like Bitcoin colored glasses, so it's it doesn't look great for me. But I know I know that a lot of people trust it, and it's it's been in second place for a long time. Well, it's kind of funny now, not that I'm a huge Vitalik fan, but he went from being this huge, we got to push everything to L2s to now, hey, we're going to do all this new stuff to pull it all back onto the L1 so we don't need L2s anymore. And it's like, man, make up your mind. That's why I like <laughs> you Bitcoin. You can't go jumping back and forth. Like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not like, God dang it, Bitcoin, make up your mind. It's like, no, Bitcoin's just going to roll. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're now trying to put smart contracts on Bitcoin and I mean, they already did Ordinals, right? So they, they're trying to join the NFT craze. So Bitcoin is not staying still either, right? But it's... Well, Bitcoin's yeah, staying we'll still. People are just using it differently. Yes, I guess that's true. But like, you know, if, if, if Vitalik makes the wrong decision, you know, that sucks. Bitcoin just... Bitcoin doesn't make decisions. It just keeps doing what it's doing. Well, it's, I mean, Vitalik, his decisions don't decide the fate of Ethereum, right? I mean, he has a pretty big voice. But it, I think there's more of a consensus of, hey, we want to all go towards this, rather than just him calling the shots. Yeah, but I, I don't think I don't think any of his shots have been shot down or vetoed. That's my thing. This isn't going to be a Ethereum versus Bitcoin argument because no, that's no. we that's been done in 2017 <laughs> and 18. <laughs> yeah, no, I I still prefer Bitcoin over Ethereum. I I, I think Ethereum has a need. I, but I also think that there's a lot of tokens that have a added value to the whole ecosystem, and that Bitcoin can't be everything. Yeah, no, um, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's definitely the best, right? There's there's no question about that. It's the safest. 
I should say, maybe not the best, it's the safest for now. Yeah, it goes after different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So let's switch this and look at 2024, right? I mean, we're, what is this, four days into January and we're all right on the heels of hopefully this spot ETF becoming real in the next uh, six days is, is the deadline. Um, but I think there's a lot more to it than, than just a spot ETF for for 2024. And, and kind of like what we talked before, I mean, the whole regulation piece and clarity of what's going to happen in the crypto space is going to continue to be a huge theme in, in this moving forward. And hopefully we actually get some clarity or actually get some regulation. I mean, I know it's an election year, so I feel like nothing happens and everybody's just trying to get elected, but there needs to be something. They need to keep working on something. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that the progress will be even slower than than it was last year. But I think there's enough. If they if they allow the ETF, if it gets approved in the next week, that's enough that money can start to flow in from every direction in the U.S. And they won't. I don't think Elizabeth Warren is not going to pass crypto death legislation like people have talked about last year in an election year. You know, the, the Democrats they they run a tighter ship than that, and so. I think what we've got is more or less what we've got. And now the year after 2025 could be, could be very different once, you know, either whatever the new administration is, or if it's the same administration again, I think that'll be different, but I don't see very much happening there. It might get talked about a lot. And, you know, I think Elizabeth Warren's getting a lot of media attention from what she does, which I think she'll continue to try to get because that's how you get reelected and things. But Give me, give me what where we're at. Give me the ETF, and then give me a bunch of slow government do nothing for for twelve months, and I think that's good enough. I think the IRS clarity on how things are taxed and the rules are fine. So it's I don't see that if they don't do much, I don't think it restricts. Yeah, I guess my view is the clarity piece probably influences the amount of real world assets that get tokenized. That's over right. the next year, right? There's there's a ton of interest, and in, I mean, you look at BlackRock saying that they're seeing the that tokenization of everything is happening, right? And, and it's going to happen. Stocks and bonds and treasuries and all that stuff. As soon as it become, becomes tokenized, it just becomes easier for everybody to deal with. But there's too many questions on clarity, I think, for that to really happen. If that does happen sooner rather than later, I think that takes off a lot in 2024. If if it doesn't, it continues to be just kind of the can kicked down the road. And at some point, it will be big. But the question is, at what point? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So I think the other big theme that I see, and I mean, it's already kind of started happening at the end of 2023, is, is AI, right? And you're going to combine that with probably the gaming discussions and even the metaverse, right? The metaverse had, I feel like it's taken a hit here lately with... Facebook changes its name to Meta and struggling to really have this whole metaverse reality become more important. But AI has definitely picked up. Shoot NVIDIA has gone off the charts with making their chips to, to help with AI. And, and now you're looking at governments that are trying to prevent other governments from having access to AI and what it's going to do to change 
pretty much everything that we do moving forward, right? We, we talked about gaming too, right? I mean, gaming expected or last year was expected to be this big piece and now it looks like it's probably maybe this year or maybe even later, right? I mean, it, I think as soon as these start coming out and, and AI, I think starts to play a big piece of that is how they use AI to add more non, what is it called? Non-player non-playable uh, characters in pc yeah yeah so adding those to the game and, and just making the whole thing better and kind of go from there but you went through a bear market where you, you lost a lot of people and now you're relying on ai or somebody to work on the graphics and it's just not happening nearly as quickly so um i mean i think that will be a big piece of that and the the big overall theme of how that connects is going to be interoperability right and you're going to need for a lot of these change to have some sort of interoperability. And we've been trying to do that for a while. There's bridges to go from here to there. And I feel like in the past couple of years, they keep getting hacked. So they got to keep figuring out how to keep these secure. But I mean, even, you know, I'm a Cardano fan and they came out with an announcement that they're expecting some big news between Cardano, Mina and Arbitrum. Right. So you're looking at some very interesting projects and Mina, if you're not familiar with it, their entire blockchain is 32 kilobits, kilobytes, oh. bits. So it's, it's tiny, right? So it can run on a, a mobile phone. They do everything with ZK proofs for the most part. So you don't need this huge thing. And I mean, shoot, right. if you look at other chains, it's terabits of size, right? So it's humongous. So this would be really cool to have, and then uh, Arbitrum is a layer two on Ethereum, right? So having all those interact and, and work together would be really intriguing. Now, what's gonna happen with those three? I have no idea, right? So it's it's kind of fun to say, oh yeah, it's gonna be this really quick interface between a lot of different chains and maybe it'll allow for some really cool things to happen. But that's just one piece. I mean, it can't be just those three chains. It has to be, all these chains as a whole, they, they have to find a way to interop between all of them. And, and you're starting to see Cosmos and Polkadot. There's a lot of people that are using a lot of the, the, the keys or the, the blocks that those guys have done. I mean, they're almost more layer zeros than they are layer ones, but they're just helping all the other products to connect to each other, right? So, I mean, Shoot Injective was built on Cosmos and 30 something X this year. Right. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, those are, it doesn't get a little outside of my wheelhouse, but just the theme of interoperability makes sense as, as, as any market matures, you get that consolidation, right? A lot of, a lot of companies like com boom, things like that. You get a bunch of companies growing and trying different things and some of them are dying. Some of them pair up and get acquired and become conglomerates and become like additive as they combine. So that 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 makes sense. It's probably time for that since there's however many thousands of of altcoins and things. So uh, they that makes sense. I think that's probably right in as far as the timeline is of development. Yeah, I think the other big thing too. I mean, I mentioned the whole zk proof. I think zk becomes a, a bigger influence in, in what's going on, right? I mean, the optimistic roll-ups happened a little over a year ago. ZK is a little behind that. So maybe by the end of 2024, it becomes a much bigger talking point. 
And then from a gaming perspective, kind of what you talked about on what kids want, I mean, NFTs fall in line perfectly into what would make sense from a gaming perspective. So I do think NFTs come back. I think we probably see new highs in NFTs in 2024, uh, which would be interesting, but that's, that's just also a guess. So of course, none of this is financial advice. And if I knew what was going to happen, then I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast and I'd be trading full time, right? But <laughs> yeah, no, same here. But the NFTs does make sense because I feel like like baseball cards and trading cards have made a comeback in the real world. And a lot of it is you buy a whole pack in hopes you get some rare card and then you think it's worth money. And then you, you know, do you really sell it? Does anybody ever actually, what percentage of people that get that, you know, one out of 10 specialty fancy card actually sell it or would it, or it becomes a trophy? And so you kind of get, you get that mentality in the real world. That's going to translate easily over into the gaming side. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I mean, those are kind of the, the big things, big themes that I see. Right. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing quite a few of them, but it, it'll be, it's going to be exciting. I mean, I think 2024 could be a fun year. We can talk about some of the price predictions if you want on what we think things will happen. But is there anything else on your mind that you think is going to be a big theme for 2024? Yeah, I think I think for me, it's going to be a lot of normalization of Bitcoin into corporations and countries because I think corporations will get into it because it was such a monumentous occasion when MicroStrategy got in. Michael Saylor's on CNBC's on a gazillion podcasts. I mean, he's, he's like the one guy that's doing it. And I think this time next year, we'll sit down and it'll be like, yep, look at all these companies that have Bitcoin exposure. They don't make a big deal out of it, but you know, you, you'll see a, a router, a Reuters article or AP article that, that, or that goes through the financials and tons of these companies have exposure to Bitcoin through the ETFs. I think that's going to be like very normal over the course of a year. And the same with countries. Like, I think you'll see countries get into holding Bitcoin it's been, you know, El Salvador is one thing, but, you know, like the top 100 GDP countries getting more comfortable with Bitcoin. I, th I think that's going to be something we see a lot. It's it was not like El Salvador was the first domino to fall and then everything just piled on afterward. There's been years of everybody kind of seeing how things are going with El Salvador. But I don't think you were going to see Bitcoin prices below El Salvador's cost basis anymore. Same with same with MicroStrategy. So I think if you're looking at copying somebody, you look at those two, and you're never gonna see a situation where they're in in the in the red again, and everybody else is gonna kind of want that too. So I, I think those two things, companies and countries, but it won't be like these big announcements, and you know, Bukele won't be doing t t like Twitter battles with the economic forum, the world economic forum and, and picking fights and stuff. I think it'll just be like, yep. All right. This country just added Bitcoin to their sovereign wealth fund to go with treasuries and cash and all that other gold and stuff like that. And so I don't think it, I, I think that, I think this year's kind of quiet when it comes to that stuff. But when we look back we're like, holy crap, we've moved the ball in a lot of different ways without you know, without the, every one of them showing up at the Bitcoin conference in Nashville and doing a speech about it. 
you know, it'll just be kind of, it'll be kind of be business as usual because, because honestly, I, I think with the ETF, it just normalizes stuff. I, I don't think you have, you know, buying Bitcoin right now means you've got private keys and public keys and all these kind of new ways of custody. And with ETF, you don't. And so I think that's, I think that'll be a thing we see in, in 2024 for sure. Yeah, I think Argentina's news about legalizing the use of Bitcoin and all these legal contracts helps with, with that, right? I mean, Mexico is talking about using Bitcoin as a possible legal currency or approving it at some point in the future. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things happening. We kind of expected this to happen a year or two ago. Yeah, two. <laughs> but yeah. It, it, it is definitely has kind of slowed down, but it feels like it's right on the verge of a tipping point. Yeah, but it's like the perfect year to do it because you're going to have, uh, you know, if, if you assume the having cycle plays itself out kind of normal, you know, you, you still have nine, 10 months before the price really ramps up. I think the ETF does bolster the price, but I don't think you see a hyperbolic ramp up, you know, out of control frenzy in the first three quarters of the year. I think that starts, you know, towards the end of the year, but I think it just raises the floor and that will kind of that's the kind of stable growth that the bigger players would like to see and they can get exposure gain exposure and kind of step into it over time. And so I, I think it's going to be kind of a boring year from like these l big monstrous uh, decisions that are made, but I think it'll make a big difference in aggregate when we look back. And I think it I think it sets us up for a pretty a pretty awesome fourth quarter this year. I think that's. I think it's. I think everything in the first three quarters is just is just foundation building, and based on how firm that foundation is, uh, that'll tell us how high we can go in, you know, the last part of the year plus the plus twenty twenty five. So any other themes before I ask you about your price predictions on some of this? <laughs> I think the theme of U.S. debt increase, it will continue. <laughs> we just broke $34 trillion. It took us a whole 15 weeks to add a trillion to go from 33 to 34. That's So I think you, the theme of interest rate discussion, you know, is still going to be a big deal all the time. When are they going to lower rates? You know what's the what's the liquidity? Are they going to infuse liquidity into the markets? I, I think we I think that stuff is just here to stay because it's it just dictates what happens with asset prices like crazy. So the whole inflation, debt, interest rate combination of all of that just that we never talked about like this. You know, prior to COVID, I think that that sticks around. So that yeah, those those are happening. But yeah, I think as far as themes and, and overarching items, I think we've covered my stuff. So when I mean, you talk about a, a big Q4 of 2024, and I guess my thought is, what do you think Bitcoin does? Like in, in dollars wise or multiple wise of, of where it starts the year? I mean, knowing that we have no idea. And if we're right, it would be finding a needle in a haystack, right? But what, what's your view on all this? Yeah, I mean, like, this is the most fun part, right? Like, to kind of speculate on what price is going to do. Uh, I think if you're in Bitcoin and you're not thinking about this, then you're missing, like, the fun part. It's, it would be like playing the lottery <laughs> and then not thinking about what you would do with the money, you know? So so this is kind of the cool part. I think I think we have a kind of a – it'll be fun and a lot mostly up. 
and we'll we'll dip and we probably will flush a little bit before we really go forward. So I don't think we'll go lower than thirty three thousand. I was looking at some numbers and charts and thinking about stuff. So I think I think those days are over. You know, like I didn't think we would go as low as we went. You know, we went to sixteen five and maybe maybe touch fifteen nine or something in in twenty into twenty twenty two. And that was lower than I thought we would go. But the way things have built and, and all that, I think I think thirty three is kind of the low end if if we just kind of cascade down. Even in even in like a if they get to this Bitcoin approve or this ETF approval date and kick the can down the road and and you know, these speculators that were trying to front run it bail out. I still think thirty three is is the like the low end. And then, you know, I kind of looked at it like, hey, there's what is what's the ninety percent chance that you know what price levels are in my ninety percent chance range, and so I, I kind of bracketed it. I think between eighty eight and one hundred and thirty eight thousand in Bitcoin this year is is that range, both from a multiplier above the previous all time highs and lows. So I think that range is like a comfortable range. I, I feel like that's super reasonable with with the Bitcoin ETF inflows to bolster the price. Now, I also was thinking like, okay, what's the bear, what's the bull, you know, rocket ship 5% chance, you know, as th- if things just go nuts. And, you know, I think you could, it, there's probably a 5% chance we're in the mid 200s. But I think it's pretty reasonable to say this year we'll break the previous all-time high. We'll get into... You know, if we don't if we don't break a hundred thousand this year, I'll be surprised. Even even without the ETF, you know, in that November December run up, that that will likely happen due to a quantitative easing and reduced interest rates and you know easier money, but also the the normal having cycle and minor capitulation and the lack of selling pressure for miners. So I think you know that's that's where I'm at price wise. I think. If if it doesn't hit eighty eight thousand this year, it's a wild disappointment and a and a you know a ten percent chance that we don't do that. And if it goes over one forty this year, that's it's probably a ten percent chance it goes over one forty. And uh, if it goes over one forty, like it might it might hit three hundred. Like you know, yeah. things get really weird when the price goes above where it's you know where where it's ever been. Nobody. What's the value of something if it's the most expensive it's ever been? It's real hard to put a number on it. So, so that's kind of where I'm at on on Bitcoin price. But I don't think it's like crazy exciting nuts, you know, parabolic move. I think it's kind of like, you know, the last three or four months have been kind of fast, and then you wait a month, right? It goes, it goes from from twenty to twenty five, and then you're you're in a you're range bound around 25 for, for three or four weeks. Then it goes from 25 to 30 and you're 32 and you're kind of in that little range and then it drops back down, pops back up. Like nothing, nothing wild. Like, like we saw in 2021. So kind of a, kind of like a boring, quiet growth and which would be awesome to get companies and, and countries a little more comfortable with it because that's where you really start to see, you know, that, that, those guys aren't going to sell, right? They're not trading. Companies and countries won't be trading Bitcoin. So that's just more Bitcoin coming off coming off exchanges and out of the the liquid supply into illiquid supply and that helps to increase price. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, so that kind of aligns with my thoughts. I mean, if I had to put a number on it, 
I'm thinking around that 100K range, which is like a two and a half X, right? Which is bigger than it's done in a little while. The, the big gains have typically happened a year after the happening, right? So it's not supposed to really grow until 2025 and not so much in, in 2024. So the, the view though that I have is Bitcoin is about to have a marketing team that they've never seen before. So Already 13, commercial. Yeah, with 13 ETFs and them just, I mean, yeah, there's commercials that exist today and you can't even buy the product, right? So uh, it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens as soon as this ETF gets approved. You're going to see the happening happen in April, which is going to be a news that everybody kind of hears about and hopefully kind of spurs them to learn a little bit more. And then I do think with the election year, politics, it's, it's going to come up in politics quite a bit too, right? So you're going to have like three major things that spur a lot of interest and discussion on, on Bitcoin and crypto in general. So getting to that 100K or getting to less than 100K this year, I think kind of what you said, right? It's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. And then once I think it hits 100K, we might not ever see that again, <laughs> right? But it's... It's going to be, a, I, I think it's going to be a rocky road, right? I mean, I think it's going to be very up and down, not an exponential growth positive the entire way, just because there's going to have to be some washouts of people that finally sell their, their coins and, and somebody else takes them over. Yeah, well, that's, so. My, I don't know if that's good or bad that we're both on the same page. Like, <laughs> like it's, I liked it better. I like it better when I'm, when I'm thinking something different than everybody else. But, you know, like I said, if, if things get a little crazy, you could, we could get a ramp up, but it's tough to kind of vote against the historical pattern. You know, like this is the first time the ETF will be exposed. It'll be the first time people can buy Bitcoin. It'll be the first time you can get a share of a Bitcoin ETF and each share is going to cost 25 bucks or 40 bucks or $120 numbers that people can understand. Instead of Bitcoin is at $44,532 and it can be divided into 100 million units. It's like, yeah, no, it's $44.34 and how many shares do you want? Like, that's a lot freaking easier for people to understand. And then they can split them and stuff like that if they have to, if things get weird. So I don't know. We're about to go into uncharted waters, you know, in a way that Bitcoin and crypto is kind of always in uncharted waters because it's just new. But I think in a in a much major way, the ETF the ETF does make a difference as far as fund flow, fun, funds flowing into Bitcoin and Bitcoin c- coming off of it's coming out of the easy to buy Bitcoin and getting into the harder to get stuff. So we'll see we'll see how that shakes out. But I will be I, I am curious to see what happens, and this might even be a twenty twenty five thing. You know, normally Bitcoin runs up and then stalls out, and then all the other altcoins have a surge, a, re, a surge when the crypto guys sell their Bitcoin and get into other, into other coins. But the ETF money is not going to do that. It, it, it's going to, you know, the crypto guys could sell their Bitcoin and get into other things. But I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with like the altcoin spring. I, I, I don't know how that's going to work, but I'll be curious to see what, what shakes out. So it's kind of a good lead into my other question for you is, uh, let's just start with Ethereum, right? I mean, what do you view that's going to happen to Ethereum? Is it going to outperform Bitcoin? Is it going to unperform Bitcoin? Will it be at the same? I would think it would outperform Bitcoin like in this cycle. I don't know if it's in this year, 
because uh, I think Ethereum's like twenty two hundred dollars right now, and and Bitcoin's at forty four hundred. Like Bitcoin doubling goes to eighty eight thousand. That's a big number. That's bringing in a ton of money in order to keep that price elevated. Ethereum doubling to forty four hundred. That's not that big of a deal for Ethereum, and so I, I think I think Ethereum would probably outperform it, and especially if you got Bitcoin, you, you have just crypto trader types that are heavy into Bitcoin now, front running the ETF, and then when they're feel like they, that they they've made enough money in the trade that they'll get out of that trade and jump and dump into Ethereum and ramp up the price. So I, I would think Ethereum could outperform. Bitcoin on a price basis, but it's really just traders trading and not because the technology is great and it's overcoming, you know, adoption and it's and it's dominating Solana on development and things like that. I think it's I think it's probably just because the crypto traders will have a ton of money to play with and they'll get bored watching Bitcoin slow, steady rise. Yeah, I guess my view is assuming we start to get more clarity in regulation you're going to start to see things like the real world, real world assets get put on to blockchains. And I think Ethereum has a very good chance of getting a lot of that in, in this near term. So I, I do see Ethereum outperforming Bitcoin, especially since Ethereum is kind of near the low mark of where it's ever been to, compared to Bitcoin. So I, I don't think it's like what Bitcoin does or anything like that. I think it will outperform by a very small amount. So if Bitcoin does two and a half X, Bitcoin might do three X, right? It's not going to be like Bitcoin or Ethereum is going to do five X when Bitcoin's only doing two and a half X, right? So I, I do think it'll be close, but it's almost due to do a little bit better. Now, will it jump up a lot the following year as people get out of Bitcoin and into altcoins? Maybe that's, I guess, kind of to be determined. But that kind of brings up a good question. You talked about Solana, right? It, I mean, just altcoins in general. Are there any other altcoins that you think have an opportunity to become a big name, right? I mean, kind of going to this top 10 of, of crypto, right? Making this this run and being that, that other altcoin that everybody talks about. I mean, Ripple is one that has garnered a lot of interest in the past and kind of they're still up there. Cardano's up in the list, right? But is there somebody else that makes this huge jump? Like, yeah, I think so. But before we get stop talking about Ethereum, I think we could probably see an Ethereum spot ETF in twenty twenty four. You know, if Bitcoin works out great, whoever whoever wins, right, they might just be happy to stick with Bitcoin. But if if it looks early on like Ark is going to not be one of the top two or three, they might start filing for an Ethereum spot ETF because you kind of have a path in that. The the XRP ruling said that once once the cat's out of the bag, you know it may have been a, an unregistered security prior to release, but now that it's open and on exchanges, it's a, it's a commodity. So if Ethereum is considered to be a commodity, I think you could see an Ethereum spot ETF, and that would help bolster its price in a, in a pretty big way. And so that's another another tailwind for Ethereum, basically, as far as how it sure. performs against Bitcoin. Uh, after that, I, I, I mean, to me, I don't follow this stuff nearly as close. You know, there'll be some random thing that jumps out of nowhere that we've never heard of. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll predict that, that, that this time next year we'll name a name that we've never talked about in the last hundred episodes. 
And but I, I feel like Solana's in in position. It, you know, it's an easier name to say than Ethereum. It, it it seems to do the same stuff, but cheaper, faster. And cheaper, faster seems to matter more. You know, you look at USDT on Tron. It's because it's cheaper and it's not better. And so I think if Solana is uh, cheaper and faster, but not better than Ethereum, then Ethereum needs to be careful because that seems to be super important. And so that, I, you know, it's kind of an easy thing to say Solana because guess what? It, it jumped up from like $17 to 120 So a lot of people are talking about it. But the fact is it's, it's a race to the bottom. So whoever's cheapest and fastest can, can probably win. And then you'll, you just put up with kind of the hiccups. But, I mean, it's not like Ethereum is hiccup free. So uh, I, I think you got to look out for that. Anything else? I mean, man, if somebody just actually hits a use case that gives a company a competitive advantage and that starts to get locked in, that, that'll really start to bring these blockchain tokens forward into actual corporate infrastructure and be part of corporations. And so I'd like to, see, you know, until that happens and, and how to predict which one will happen to. I mean, we've talked about this stuff since 2017. Like, oh, man, look at Cardano and how it can help this company do that. Well, heck, man, if it can't do it in six or seven years, that's a long freaking time to not, you know, nail it, like not find that use case and not, you know, help a company be more profitable or faster, better, provide a better service or anything like that. So if it hasn't done it in six or seven years, I don't know if it is. So that, you know, yeah, give me, give me a new one. Give me, give me one that we don't know yet as the, as the big winner in the next 12 to 24 months. So I will say I'm optimistic about Cardano because I think there are some things coming out hopefully in this year with what some of the things they're doing in Africa, right? And with, with governments there. And if that starts happening, then I think that turns into a domino effect, domino effect. And Cardano has a, a huge 2024. If it doesn't happen, then maybe it takes a little bit longer. Cardano is just so bad at marketing because they don't market at all, right? They just go do their stuff and wait for it actually to pop out on the other end. And what we thought in, in terms of blockchain, how qu quickly everything would happen, it doesn't happen quick. <laughs> this takes a very long time to happen. So even if it's been six years, they're still probably four years away from everything <laughs> really happening, right? So, I mean, it's getting there. It's just moving a lot slower. But, I mean, to me, I think a, a 10x type return on Cardano is is not out of the question. I think what's intriguing is to see another, and really Injective was way bigger than, than Solana, and Injective was what, 32x, and Solana was only 10x, right? But yeah. there's going to be some interesting companies out there that I think could jump a ton. Nina is one of the interesting ones that I mentioned earlier, just because of the small block size. They're a layer one using ZK technology. I mean, could they be a 20x gainer? Maybe. I think anything around that in space, gaming space and things like that. I mean, you have like Tau and Render, Cash. Those all have some interesting issues. I mean, shoot, a lot of those have actually done really well, but I think there's still a lot more room to grow with the focus on AI. And then I think probably my one that I like the most maybe I should say, or I don't know if it's scary, it's scary to say that, but internet computer, I think is going to be one of the ones that kind of surprises a lot of people in 2024. Just if you look at storage, how cheap it is to 
to use their storage compared to everybody else out there that at some point becomes a big deal and people start to, to leverage that. No. Will that be right? I have no idea, right? But if I'm throwing out ideas, <laughs> those are the ones that seem the most intriguing for 2024. All right. I'll take your word for that. All right. Well, man, we've been going on for a while. Let's let's touch base on a couple of things that have happened in the past week or so, just to, to mention those. And, and kind of one of the big ones, I mean, there's still a question mark on whether these ETFs are going to happen. Shoot, there was an article that came out from Metalogics that talked about how they expected the SEC to push the ETF down the road even further. And quickly, that was kind of debunked by a lot of people. But JP Morgan actually came out and said they are going to be an authorized participant of the BlackRock ETF. Yep. Which is really funny considering that just a week or two ago, Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan was talking to Elizabeth Warren in court saying that he believes Bitcoin is horrible and that government should ban it. And yet all of a sudden he's turning around and saying, oh yeah, we want a piece of this. <laughs> so it's, it's once again, JP Morgan is watch what they do and not what they say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I felt like that, uh, that was the kind of just a back scratching scenario for Elizabeth Warren and, and Jamie Dimon. Like, you know, Elizabeth Warren was like the, the people's champion, you know, she, she kind of grew a lot of popularity during the Occupy Wall Street stuff. And now she's like the best friend of banks. And uh, so it's just, I think it's just a vote getting, soundbite getting thing. I, I, I think it's kind of a toothless argument. And and Jamie Dimon and, and JP Morgan being right there with BlackRock, it's like, wh why should I listen to what you say when I can see what you can do? And so I, to me, that's a, that's a non-issue. But yeah, the, the the ETF stuff's heating up so much. I can't imagine that they kick the can past the tenth. They, it's like every single day, I've seen a, another amendment submitted to the SEC from one of these people. I've seen seed money. They've they've announced Bitwise is got a two hundred million dollar seed money to create to buy Bitcoin and create their ETF. BlackRock was ten million. That doesn't seem like BlackRock. That doesn't seem that seems weird to me. I'm I'm kind of curious why that, that's such a small number, but you know you add all this up, you've probably you're probably sitting on half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin buying to to create these pools. You've seen the fees. Invesco said they'll do zero percent for six months. Everybody else is kind of around that half a percent per year fee structure, you know, which isn't crazy for an ETF. You know, more commercials, Hashdex, Bitwise, Vanek, they all putting out commercials for. And they can't even say much because it's not approved. So it's the weirdest commercial. or It's just basically using the word Bitcoin alongside their brand just to kind of start to get people moving that direction. So, you know, Goldman Sachs is an authorized participant for BlackRock and Grayscale. You know, the, all of this stuff is like they're they're spending money. They're spending a lot of time and resources. If the SEC rejects this, I, I think that they'll I think they're, they'll get sued. I think that, that you know they're they're spending millions of dollars to do this. I, I think if the SEC does something out of line, they'll get sued again and lose again. So I I, I would I I'm willing to move some of my IRA money into Bitcoin exposed stocks in ahead of this ETF so that I can be exposed to Bitcoin and when the ETFs are available and it looks like one of them is going to win, I can transfer 
the gains from those MicroStrategy, Riot, Marathon, Mining stocks and just transfer them into the ETF in my in my IRA. So I, I, I'm, I'm not I, – I, I, I'm willing to put a little money that says, yeah, this is going to happen. Well, hopefully you're in the mining stocks about three months ago and, and leveraged their run-ups yep. that were crazy in Q4. But yeah, so if Fidelity, I think, came out and said they were going to be at 0.39% yep. for their fee, which is, I think, the lowest one. There's been a couple of companies that have filed the 8-8 reports, with, formed whatever you want to call them. I think Fidelity and Grayscale have both done that, which is pushing things ever closer. And I think the multiple companies have pretty much told their workforces, be prepared for an imminent approval of this, and we're going to have to jump over it, jump on it as fast as possible. So everything looks good. If it doesn't happen, holy cow. I mean, at this point, I shouldn't say I'd be surprised, but it, it's just, it would be amazing for it not to happen at this point. Yes, I agree. All the positive news. I agree. I, I think it would be it would be a bigger story if it didn't happen than it would be if yeah. it does. And then the other thing that I think was interesting to note, our favorite individual in crypto SBF was due to have a second trial in 2024. And that has been canceled. They said everything came out in the first trial. So he will not face the second trial, which allows, I think, like six charges to be dropped. So there's a lot of kind of going back and forth that there's some fishy stuff going on because a lot of the charges that are being dropped are would allow them to figure out where exactly a lot of this money went into the political campaigns because yeah. that's all the charges that are being dropped. So they're saying, hey, this is a government conspiracy, yada, yada, yada. What it sounds like is the Bahamas wasn't willing to approve any of that stuff anyways. So... It was going to be hard to get that to happen, and he's already on the hook for 100-plus years of jail time. So they had everything they needed. Apparently, this happens a lot where instead of having a second trial, if you if you don't think you can get any further, and they think they had a really good outcome in the first one since he looked like an idiot during the entire thing, then this is all they need. So. And then, I guess at the end of the day, for those people that had money in FTX, this hopefully gets the door closer to getting some sort of money back for whatever they had. Yeah, I think I read the headline about that and was like, yep, I think we talked about it as soon as it went down, that uh, the political contributions charges would get dropped and they wouldn't drag any politicians' names through the mud. And yeah, when you're when you're being charged with federal crimes and federal politicians are involved and they might have to give money back out of their their coffers and war chests, that somehow or another those things just don't happen. So it's zero uh, percent surprise. Didn't even waste my time reading the article as to why they justified it, because <laughs> this was like this was not even news to me. It was like just confirming that I was right. Surprise. Politicians get to keep money that should be in the pockets of normal people. Yeah, it's an everyday occurrence in the U.S. these days. Yeah. One more thing I listened to Michael Saylor talk about. He, as part of his compensation package, he's due a large number of stock options that expire in April. And so in lieu of exercising those stock options in April, he's going to exercise them at 5000 shares per day every trading day from now until something like mid april sometime 
and stocks, microstrategy stock price is in like that $700 range. So you're talking, you know, two and a half to $3 million per day of him liquidating those stock options. And I think we all know what Michael Zaylor likes to do with liquid cash. So <laughs> that's like a pretty Hopefully decent pre- little chunk of buying pressure for Bitcoin. Well, he pretty much said that's what he was going to buy with it, too. Whether he said it or not, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, he's going to. I mean, he talked about he needed to buy stuff for his personal portfolio, right? So, and and what's crazy is, I think one of the cool things about Michael Saylor is he's paid a dollar a year as his compensation from a salary perspective, right? All of it has been in stock. So, and his stock has done well. And I came and do the math off the top of my head, but that is a lot of millions of dollars <laughs> he's going to be doing or getting. Yeah. I, I can't right. recall so, what the total number was. I know that it was $5,000 per day and it was a lot of days. It was like over, it might've been close to a hundred, maybe it was 500,000. I think 5,000 per 5,000 shares per day. Yeah. For a hundred. I want to say it was like 400. I want to say it was like 400,000 shares. Okay. Maybe it was 80 days. Right? Yeah. That, that, that makes more sense yeah. because it, from a yeah. calendar standpoint, you, you don't have seven hundred dollars, eighty million dollars. No, no, sorry, twenty-eight million dollars. Yeah, I mean it's a big number. Well, it should be. Let's see. If he has eighty trading days, and he's going to do it, and let's. Just, I mean, that's assuming his stock doesn't go up. You know, if Bitcoin price goes up, his stock price goes up a lot. So let's just say it's seven hundred dollars. Five. So that's uh, five thousand per day. Thirty-five, three point five million per day times eighty days. Uh, that's three hundred eighty million. Yeah, almost three hundred million. Yeah, two hundred eighty million. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, a dollar a year for a few years, and then you make two eighty, and in a couple of months, that's pretty good. Oh my goodness, that's insane. Yep. So, yeah, man. Well, he, like whatever. Like if if Bitcoin goes to zero and he goes down in flames, that would be one of the craziest stories ever. But if Bitcoin goes to two hundred fifty thousand of Bitcoin, it's a wild story. I mean, what a yeah, I mean, what a freaking! I mean, he he might be the richest guy on the planet if that's the case. Well, I mean, our expectation is in the de- a decade, ten x right is is not out of the question, right? So you're talking about two hundred eighty million. If he's putting almost all that into Bitcoin, he's going to have three billion dollars personally. In addition to the Bitcoin he already owns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, owns, he owns a lot. And so, and I'm sure this isn't all of his stock in MicroStrategy, which would be, a, you know, that would be hugely valuable too. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he said he would still be a very large shareholder, <laughs> right? So even selling this. So, yeah, he, he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, I, I feel like I'm overexposed to Bitcoin a lot. And then I think about him and I'm like, okay, I'm... I'm, I'm way better, way better than, or way more responsible. Probably, I'm probably worse, but more responsible than 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 some people. So at least I got that going for me. Well, how this has been a ton of fun to kind of talk about 23 interview and and what's going to happen in 24. So happy New Year to you! I'm looking forward to some more conversations the rest of this year. Yeah, man, and should be a fun year. Exciting news to happen in, yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah, well, we'll talk more soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Happy New Year, Jason. All right. See ya. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below. 
and hope to see you there.